can you think of any horror remakes that are definitely better than the original version? Jim, you're making a face. You want to go first? There are a few. I have a list somewhere, I think. But the first one that comes to mind is the 1980s, The Blob. Okay. Uh, the original Blob, a fun movie. The 1980s, The Blob, a like slimy, masterful party time. <laughs> I very vividly remember the original as a kid. And so now I really want to watch the remake because I haven't. So you should. a strong sell for it. It's a big recommendation for all of you. Okay. I'm in. Bennett, did you have one? Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it's better than the original, but I, I'm a big fan of the the Werner Herzog Nosferatu. I uh, love the score by Popo okay. Vuh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I really spooky and uh, probably my favorite Herzog uh, feature. Okay. But when I think of horror remakes, I do think of a lot of films that uh, I wouldn't necessarily say are good, that I have a lot of affection for, and that is, of course, folks, the uh, the mid aughts horror remake of which uh, Black Christmas. Uh, is an example. I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake from 03 has some stuff to recommend it. A movie I've seen like a hundred times on wow. Encore Suspense. It used to air on Encore Suspense every single day of the week. So scrolling through like cable, you'd be like, oh, I can catch the last I can catch the last 30 minutes of <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's why I knew about that line that uh, Arlie Army says in it and also says in Willard, oh, right, despite not right. having seen Willard. Wait, which yeah. is funny because those, uh, this, they're, uh, well, it's funny that they're both remakes yeah. of 1974 <laughs> seminal horror movies, right? This one and uh, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Snow, what about you? Any remakes come popping out to you? So I don't know if this counts as a remake, but I will say one. So I have a great affection for the old school Dracula, um, mm-hmm. but I love the Coppola one. Oh, best, <laughs> like, best so Dracula. Luxurious and like fun. so, I don't know. It's just a movie that I can like sit with and feel quite a mood. I think everyone can agree that that's Francis Coppola's best movie. <laughs> I've never seen it in its entirety. Wow! You of all people. Wait, because you lost interest, Bennett, or like, did you fall asleep? What happened? Uh, Is it just self-loathing? Honestly, I think it was that. I think I started it late, and it's a long (laughs) movie. I think I've seen like an hour and forty minutes of it. Yeah, it is. I should go back to it. I think it's. I think it's like on Netflix. There's there's plenty of ways to watch it. I don't know. It's 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 a tough sell too, as one to like convince other people to watch because it's so long. So I just yeah. I don't know. You need better friends. Yet you need more friends that just will watch any vampire movie with you. Yeah. I have a lot of those friends. Yeah. Those or like anything want. where Gary Oldman shows up in armor shaped like muscles. Yeah. That too. I don't have as many of those friends, but I have you, Jim. <laughs> That's what I'm for. <laughs> He's got the armor on right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing it. <laughs> I will say... I love the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, oh, God, 1976, or the Philip Kaufman remake. Um, the thing that stands out to me about that one is that it is both a remake and kind of a sequel because essentially it's the same story being told in almost the exact same way, but it's going from the rural version to like, oh, it's oh. San Francisco. Um, I oh. wrote about that for October Horror a few years ago. and I was going to say I never thought about it that way, but I'm exposing myself as not having read your piece for a couple of years ago. What a terrible <laughs> friend I am. It's fine, Jim. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to go back and find it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it as soon as we stop talking. It's okay. You already said you don't read. So, <laughs> it's you know. true. I don't. <laughs> Thank you.
Welcome back to Split Picks. We are continuing a conversation we left off yesterday. Um, we talked about Bob Clark's 1974 Black Christmas in the last episode, which Bennett called it the greatest movie of all time. It's my second favorite horror movie of all time. There's some high praise being thrown at that movie. Um, it's kind of an indisputable classic. Um, but we're here now because in the years 2006 and 2019, there were remakes of this movie. Um, so we're diving into those. I can't say I'm excited, as excited to talk about these two as I was about the original, but there are a lot of interesting things about this. We kind of talked about it briefly in the last episode, but Bennett, you suggested this episode in looking at the three Black Christmases. You also made the bold choice when you took the first pick to take Glenn Morgan's 2006 version. Do you want to just give us a quick little recap of what uh, stands out to you about this version and why you took it with the first pick? Um, So obviously when we talked about the original Black Christmas from Bob Clark yesterday, great conversation yesterday, everyone, Mm. we talked about as you kind of always have to in talking about that film, about the many ways that it kind of tees up John Carpenter's Halloween just a few years later. What's very interesting about Black Christmas 06, Black Xmas as it was stylized, is how much it tees up Rob Zombie's Halloween, which would come up just a, it would come out just a year later. A film that, much like this, Black Christmas, uh, takes a kind of mysterious killer and gives you an incredibly grotesquely detailed uh, backstory um, in uh, a very, very Dimension Films style. Watching this film several times over the last week, it struck me that it's like the closest thing we'll probably ever get to a feature-length American Horror Story episode, besides, you know, the various two-parters they've probably done over the years. It really is a film that just seems committed to both taking every element that anyone might conceivably remember from the first Black Christmas and really dialing it up, and then also and also explaining it, which I'm, I'm not as keen on. And then also taking every conceivable bit of Christmas iconography, Christmas paraphernalia, and perverting it in some way mm-hmm. um, alongside all of the stuff from the first film. And... While that is maybe not the stuff of a film that I would ever recommend to another person, it 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 it's it's not nothing. It's it's certainly a film with like you know a point of view. Um, it's you know there's something going on here in this film for sure. I think and, you can um, also tell. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, sorry. Oh no, no. I, I mean, I was just going to relate it to Giallo's again. I mean, it, like it's it's like uh, <laughs> you can do you know, it, it, do it, wrap it back. Just yeah, I don't know. I, watching all of these like. Uh, what most people would say are objectively bad Gialli recently. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe it just got me in the mood to watch a movie that's just fully, how stylishly can we shoot someone's like eyeballs being pulled out or something. <laughs> Probably worth mentioning real quick. We're being joined today by Bennett Clays. Bennett, hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Ooh, there's a there's a spooky, chilly breeze blowing <laughs> in here. Ooh. Ooh, creepy Christmas. <laughs> oh, it's creepy Christmas. Jim Hickox, you are also back with us. How you doing? I am. I am uh, good again. Good. I'm glad. You know what I did glad today? Nothing's changed. I drove a motorcycle <laughs> into the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> Is that for real? Oh, yeah. Like the little ramp. 
not not on purpose and not at high speed. Uh, I was we were both and at a stop. Up a ramp? I, I no, not up a ramp. I I wasn't trying to jump it. I was just I we were oh, both stopped and the other lane was moving and I was like I'm going to pull into that other lane and I misgaged space and I bumped my fender into his bumper. Uh, no one was hurt. He waved at me and laughed and I and we all drove away. See, when you said into the backup, I pictured into the bed. Of, like so. I drove it up yeah. into the bed of it. That wouldn't be a story, mm-hmm. Bennett. I put my motorcycle in a truck and then drove it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. By accident? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I would love if I accidentally he jumped a ramp down or something. <laughs> yeah. I do think about that when you see those like car transports, you know, you're like, could I in a car or a motorcycle? You're like, could I get up onto there and just ride this for a while? Get some free gas mileage. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> it's expensive <laughs> finally snow you are also back with us how are you i'm good i got my tree all decked out my yule tree so i'm all ready for creepy christmas what'd you put on Perfect. it what's your favorite thing that's on it do you have a billy on top <sighs> okay so no i don't <laughs> oh, yellow, okay. we should get eyeballs <laughs> yeah. oh man okay that might have to happen um <laughs> So this isn't a thing that's on the tree anymore, but I like that before we got around to decorating it because it took us like a solid week because we just moved and life is chaos. Um, but my friend decorated it with her fairy wings, which I found very appropriate. She just that's like cute. put fairy wings around the tree. So that was the tree we had for a week. <laughs> that's it was nice. nice. <laughs> Not quite creepy Christmas, but some sort of take on Christmas. Yeah. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. Um, so, Snow, you had the second pick for the Black Christmas Choices. I did. And you went with the 2019 version. Yes. What is it about that one that you wanted to talk about and what stands out to you? So, what stood out to me was that I thought it was a lot better and I liked it a lot better than other things that are kind of like slapping you with the be woke fish. Um <laughs> Yeah, I felt like it was well done in many of the scenes. And I kind of liked it It, like the, you know, 12 year old girl in me. I was like, yeah, I would love to see a movie like this when I was first like starting to watch horror movies and things, which I did far too young. Um, Yeah. No such thing. And then I also just didn't want to be a coward, like I said last time. So we got one of those. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) Jim, in your defense, you didn't get to pick because you had the. I only like good movies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are going to talk about the two others. And uh, I think we're going to have some fun stuff to talk about. So I will not lie. I'm actually excited to talk about both of these. They're really interesting. Um, but Bennett, I wanted to start with this because by all accounts, Glenn Morgan's 2006 version is a sequel that was made decades after the original, but it shares the name kind of like how Scream, Halloween, and basically every horror remake or sequel right now is doing. It leads us to assume it's a remake, but is this film really ahead of its time because of how it was named? So it's interesting that you say that. I've I've heard people say that too that this is really like a sequel that we should take this as a follow up to the events of the first film. I don't know if that's true because like it, it, wouldn't the Miss Mac here then like have to is this Miss Mac's like daughter or something? I don't basically it's it's explaining the story that is alluded to through Billy's calls in the first film. But yeah, if we do want to take it as a sequel, 
it's very much ahead of its time in the making like a late gap sequel that just shares the same title and that makes everything confusing for everyone for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's why I like the fact that it was stylized as Xmas. We can call it Black Xmas. In this movie, Billy is explicitly 36 years old, which would put him at, what, four years old in the first movie? Yeah. Also, it explains a lot. Like, like they over-explain, obviously, in this movie all the time. Like, they don't give you a second to be curious. And I feel like they over-explain to the point where it couldn't possibly be a sequel. Yeah, agreed. Because they're I don't like, know, no, I don't know who's this saying is that, the but they're crazy. That Billy yeah. had, <laughs> totally crazy. and he's coming home, and like, yeah, yeah. So anyway. this movie, as you said, Snow, like it explains everything. I call it a sequel because it does follow the story, and I don't think it's. I'm just gonna come out and say it. I don't think this is a very well-made movie, and I don't really like its approach. We got that. Bennett, I know you have some fondness for it, but let's start at the beginning. Why don't we just talk about what's going on in this movie and maybe just why is this called a Black Christmas movie? Sure, yeah. I mean, this movie follows the same basic premise. It's a sorority house full of women who are about to leave for winter break. But in this version of the events, they know there is a killer named Billy who is famous for having lived in the house And they're sort of slowly getting picked off in the sorority house is kind of intercut with both Billy escaping from an institution in the present day and also flashbacks to throughout Billy's incredibly sordid upbringing, which, like I said, seem to sort of fill in the gaps, um, flesh out the narrative that's implied by all of the 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 obscene phone calls in the original film and bob clark even says in one interview that like he in his head had like a narrative for billy which i think is interesting can i interrupt briefly and i just i just want to i just want to plunge in there because the 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 fact that they know that there was a guy named billy who was a murderer in the house seems to at face value lean towards like oh maybe it is a sequel but in this movie they explain it's not like he did a murder of sorority girls he murdered his family in this house which at yes. that point in time was a family's house and now and then was put away this is his first time presumably murdering sorority girls didn't they yes, say yes and it was a very well murders? documented murder they know every detail okay i just i should also say i watched this movie while i had a fever <laughs> <laughs> might be a little fuzzy <laughs> i'm a little jealous of your fever yeah me Don't. too man it sucked <laughs> No, I mean for like the watching of the movie for cinematic purposes. reasons. Yeah, yes. okay, okay. I feel like I could have maybe liked it more had I been feverish. Well, it's also no. it's also sequel like in the sense that it is it's a movie that is very aware of the existence of Black Christmas. Well, it's like, even in the flashbacks. There's that scene where he shouts like, "What your mother and I must know is," which is like a weird non sequitur that yeah. really yells in like the phone calls. Just such a a, a, a reference for no one. Well, just completely. I do think that the, the like biggest recommendation I think about this movie, or at least in my view, is that it's clearly made by dorks who love Black Christmas, but don't understand how to love movies. Right. There's so much in it. It's like a really a love letter, but but in a way where they're like, I love this movie, but it just left so many things out that should have been in it. Like all like of the details fiction. about it. it is really yes. fan fictiony. Yes. They're yes. really yeah. diving into a yeah. lot of stuff that that it's better not to have but the, their dorky brains thought was was important de- right they're like they're like this is my version of all of the things you don't learn in the original movie right. uh not realizing that no one cares what their version is right like that's the allure of the movie 
Bennett, can you just give us, you mentioned the last episode, can you just give us a quick overview on who Glenn Morgan, the director, is and his other projects? Sure, yeah. He has just one other directorial credit, which is, um, or at least film directorial credit that I'm aware of, which is uh, the remake of the film Willard, which is another sort of cut from the same cloth film as This Black Christmas. We all remember in the mid-aughts, there were a lot of these horror remakes that were coming out, and a lot of them took it as kind of a mandate that they should really push the envelope and really up the ante. I think Texas Chainsaw is probably the most infamous version of that because, you know, the the original is famously not all that gory, uh, despite its title and reputation. And the the remake has, you know, uh, multiple people getting impaled on hooks and a lot of, like, limbs getting severed. And you really see Leatherface take off the mask. So Glenn Morgan is somebody who's kind of steeped in that world of mid-aughts. Um, he's, he's been a pretty pol- prolific writer on TV. I think, I think he's written a fair amount of like the newer X-Files. Uh, he wrote a few of the Final Destination films. But I think he has kind of been firmly in director jail since making this, this Black Christmas movie that was kind of chopped I mean, if he made the, these uh, two the movies and, and wrote some Final Destinations, then clearly he should stick with writing because those movies are good. <laughs> Are great, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think he's got some some good collaborators on the visual side here. Um, I think much like the much much like Bob Clark's film, it's an excessively Christmassy movie, but in a totally different yeah. way. Yeah. Um, aesthetically, like Bob Clark's, like we talked about, has this very soft, lit, warm, like nostalgic texture to it. And this, even in the flashbacks to the seventies, the lights are always strobing. They're always yeah. so garish. There's like, God, who's fucking how? This who would want to live in a house like this around like Christmas? Isn't this yeah. supposed to be like the most pleasant time of year? This is like a Halloween decoration for Christ's sake. It also like Bob Clark's film. We talked about opens with that. You know, it's like Silent Night over the sort of dark, like quiet house. This. Really Garrett, uh, really like big, loud opening, um, horns, jagged icicles. You know, it's a much jazzier Christmas song to start it. We're clearly not in, this, in 1974 anymore. This is clearly not your, uh, it's not your dad's Black Christmas. And again, like that can sort of rub you the wrong way. But you got to remember, 06 was not just the era of these horror remakes, but also Batman Begins, Casino Royale. This was the, this was, things got to be gritty. We got to be taking it back to the beginning. We got to be explaining how everyone got where they are. We got to find out how Wolverine got the jacket. Look, X-Men Origins Wolverine. That's another famous example of this. You know, you need to explain everything. It's dorks. It's all dorks getting the reins to franchises that were good. Well, also, the fact that Bob Clark gave me or gave gave this gave me his blessing. Bob Clark famously yeah. gave me his blessing. He told you to watch it. Film. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, Bob Clark's ghost came to me last night and said, "Bennett, the 06 <laughs> film. It was my true masterpiece." But he, gave, he, he gave this film his blessing as like a producer of some sort. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it seems like it seems like I the mean, line on that is that he was not a well. It, everyone seems, and again, this is probably just they want to fondly remember the dead, but. Everyone seems to say that he was not a John Carpenter, and folks, oh. uh, we're on radio here, so you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm putting my hand out and then pointing my finger in it. How many say, Porky's you know, movies are money. there? How many Porky's movies are there, Ben? Two, I think. At I think least he four. Them both. <laughs> are really? Oh, are there? Yeah. I know there's two baby but, um, geniuses. The fact that it... <laughs> yeah, baby, a couple baby his, geniuses. His... Bob Clark needed to I, feed I, his I, family, and there's no shame in that. I don't know. I, I like to take his blessing as a sign that he maybe he he maybe thought that the 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 flashbacks and stuff were on to something, which I don't know. Maybe it speaks poorly of where his head was at in 06, but it inclines me to give this movie a little bit of the benefit of the doubt uh, as far as some of its wilder choices. I would believe that he was at least like, ah, maybe these kids know something I don't. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. 
let's see what they do. So, Jim, we talked briefly a bit about how, whether it's true or not, uh, there's a legend that Bob Clark was talking to John Carpenter about how he might possibly follow up Black Christmas. And he thought, well, it may be this movie called Halloween. But the other thing he said is that it would be about Billy escaping from an institution. And then he goes Uh. on a murder spree on a different holiday. And that was the whole how Halloween talking about as a title came up. Yeah. Bennett, you mentioned this movie is about Billy escaping from an institution and yeah. he goes on a murder spree, but there's some weird twisted details that we'll get to. I I did hear, just to, sorry, just to jump on that, I did hear that, that Glenn Morgan said that Rob Zombie wouldn't have made Halloween, except that Glenn Morgan was talking about if he was making a sequel to Black Christmas <laughs> 2. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> He would have had Leatherface take his mask off. That's what he said. <laughs> but you mentioned he, he was what, an executive producer on this, right, Bob Clark? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Do you know if he had any say in the story, or was he just kind of there to have his name attached? I don't know. I mean, I just, yeah, I just have, like, what I've read from articles and people commenting online saying that their sense is that Bob Clark was a little more pro the direction they took it. That interview where he said that he had a narrative for what the calls were supposed to imply seemed to suggest for me that maybe he was like on board with like where they took it at least. I mean, he also he also knows right somewhere that like no matter what they do, his movie is still there, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not it's like they can explore this world in whatever as with fan fiction, right? They can explore this world in whatever they they want, and that doesn't take away from what already exists. I mean, I think he knew that like there's no such thing as bad press like this movie existing can only draw more attention to his film right you know and if people if people love this film they go back and watch it if people hate this film they go back and watch it and they like it all the more i mean that was maybe he signed on to it knowing it'd be terrible so that people would look at his and be like look how good it is (laughs) again i mean it's already good but no that was my next thing because we'll kind of get to the reaction to this movie later but i read that bob because this movie did not do well monetarily or critically um and i read that before he died bob clark had started working on an actual black christmas 2 that he was planning to direct but he died bennett i didn't go too deep into that story but did you come across anything about that i've heard that too and i wonder if that's a little bit of an urban legend i've also heard that there were going to be remakes of um death dream and children shouldn't play with dead things um he's probably in talks with various people at various times for all those right probably he's a great like what if director for sure because he died you know kind of tragically and and, uh, untimely and tragically he was killed by a drunk driver in uh i didn't know that oh nine me neither that is sad Okay, so Bennett, you've mentioned this movie is a little... <laughs> to little... move on to a sunny note, how about some incest? <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. Little extreme, but um, it is unfortunately worth mentioning that the Weinstein brothers had a very heavy hand in editing this movie. I don't know if you want to take it from there, but like this movie is extreme in ways that I think the director had no intention of it being. So, yeah, uh, in addition to everything they're now infamous for and were infamous for for a long time when it was like an open secret, I think the Weinsteins were also infamous for having a pretty heavy editorial hand over both films that they commissioned and films that they bought. And this is definitely one where that was the case. I think 
I think the Billy escaping stuff was all shot after the fact is, is like what I've read. Oh, interesting. Um, or at least made more prominent after the fact, because it really ruins the momentum of the opening to know yeah. that we're like seeing who the killer is um, mm-hmm. while they're also setting up all of these red herrings. And then also the ending in the hospital is very much a shot after the fact sort of a thing. And then uh, we talked about this in the first episode. They also went out and shot a bunch of extra stuff for the trailers Um you know, there's. Yeah. This is a movie that's infamous for having a ton of scenes that were shot that don't show up in the film. Can you tell um, us a bit more about that? Because I think that was before we'd actually started recording. Oh yeah, just there's a there's a trailer. The initial trailer for this film includes a ton of stuff that they shot. I think just to make a juicier trailer because they weren't like sure how the film was going to perform. Uh, there's Which like is, Lacey I would Chabert say... cocking a shotgun. There's a body under like ice. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. Given every choice that I know either Weinstein ever made, which is a minority of their choices, but of all the choices I'm aware of, that's the best one I've ever heard, is to uh. is to <laughs> jump on and, and I think shoot Scream a bunch of extra stuff. Scream 3 is actually the best decision they ever made, but... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Because Scream 3, you know, that was going to happen. But, like, jumping on and shooting extra material just for promotional purposes is is pretty genius. I cannot wait for your next movie, Jim. <laughs> your trailer is going to be bonkers. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for the next trailer of your next movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Forget the action. And then to watch the movie and be like, yeah. the plot is not at all what was represented in the trailer. <laughs> there were characters who didn't exist in the trailer. There, there were characters in the trailer who aren't trailers. here. Yeah. It just has to sell the tone and idea. Who cares? Who cares about details? Details, again, for dorks. Oh, there are so many lines from this movie that I instantly recognize as You were like, lines. they're calling Do back. Do you want a Christmas sun. cookie? Is that Santa's reindeer? So, so many. Yeah, they're so oh. upset. There's, I, oh, what else did I, there's a bunch of stuff that they did where you're like, oh, they're really, it's like things that are little tiny throwaway bits in the movie that they're like making a big point of putting into this movie. I wrote some down, but I can't find them. <laughs> to notes. cut a trailer or for the fans at home, yeah. To be fair, both sequels have a lot of uh, callbacks. But <laughs> For sure. That Glass Unicorn, I'm glad the Glass Unicorn comes back. I'm also glad that all three movies are really about phones. You know? Yeah. That's that's really yeah, what yeah. ties the three of them together, is that they all heavily rely on telephones. Even even through the changing technology of telephones. <laughs> 06, unfortunately, has the classic fucking old person trying to write a person texting yeah uh like examples the where are you at with the at symbol we've all we've all typed that to our friends yeah of course oh you know what i wrote down as one of the tiny things is claire's gift to lay right because when in the first movie there's a tiny bit where she's like addressing a thing to her sister and they were like we need to explore that more the main character i think it's no 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 the, the girl who gets the bag on her head i think in the first movie is addressing a letter to the sister as a as a sort of throwaway shot and in this movie they were like let's explore that more let's make that a character we should dive into the note she wrote right it's like they're really obsessing over these tiny details that they they really want also, to flesh out they were obviously very much of a mind that what everyone loved about the first black, black christmas was the bag based murders cuz like yeah, the yeah. first 3 are all like people getting suffocated with a bag which like i don't know it sticks out in the first black christmas cuz like it's the only time i've ever seen that in a movie yeah <laughs> Yeah, but no one actually does. They get like they put a bag on him and then stab him to death. The biggest difference to me is Bob Clark does such a great job of preserving mystery in the original Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, this one 
is literally like, let's kill the myth. You're like opening shot. Here's the murderer. Yeah. 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 I mean, because it was kind of impressive almost like it felt almost like they really didn't want us to have to be curious or afraid. They like really wanted to walk us through and be like, okay, this is a horror movie. Yeah. And this is why things are happening and it's going to happen again. Here you go. Like. Be curious for a second. Oh, wait, no, there's a flashback for that. No worries. You know what people love about horror movies is knowing why the person's doing murders. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In great detail. Yeah. Everyone loves the last scene of Psycho. It's everyone's favorite favorite scene. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, if you really want like a case study and how the films are different, I mean, the opening kills really are like the perfect example because the opening kill in 06 Black Christmas, it happens like it takes like two minutes and it is just kind of like a sudden jump that he like hits yeah. her in the head with the snow globe after like pulling the, the bag over her head. You also see Agnes like milling around under the bed. Like it really, I guess they were trying to sew some sort of like red herring about whether it was like, it was Eve, the one sorority sister who's sort of weird, but then I think she dies off screen. I think she, sh- she has that one scene and then just disappears. They only let you be curious yeah. after a minute. Very weird. The next time we see her, her head's on top of like a Christmas tree. Yeah. There, there's a lot of also, stuff that was clearly left on the cutting room floor here. She's like clearly to meant to be a weird guy. character, but she gives that lady a glass unicorn, and when she opens it up, she's like, I know you like the Bible and like stuff. The Bible and stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> biblical yeah. Pegasi? What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I remember that. That actually was like one of the lines that actually made me curious and I feel like they didn't answer that was like the one unanswered yeah. question you're like is was, that gonna turn into something is the unicorn in the bible yeah and what what why and why is that the one fact she knows about that girl <laughs> the subplot with the the townie boyfriend too and the sex tapes yeah really just felt like why is that guy in the um, movie yeah. That feels like late Giallo. That feels like Dario Argento's the cap card counter. We have to have some early internet tech here. We have to have yeah. some like webcam material here because yeah. it's, it's the aughts. That one, first of all, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just like showing my ass as like not being able to tell these two actresses apart. But I literally, in the opening scene when she's watching it, I couldn't tell if the issue was this is me and somebody put this online oh. and I didn't know about it, or this is my boyfriend and somebody else. I was I like, still I don't know. I, I've seen the movie, I've seen the movie six times. I still don't yeah, know. I, better, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't read it as either of those. I was just like, why is she watching porn joylessly like a maniac? <laughs> And didn't know until when people were mad later that it was that it was like porn of people. Joylessly watching porn. I thought it was just rando porn. I was very confused. Um, Yeah, and he, they, they they both. Obviously, Peter is pretty, pretty. Peter's pretty like creepy and possessive from like very from the very beginning in the '74 film. But like, it says a lot about the film that you have first. You have this like conversation on the phone with him and Jess, where he's like just talking about how busy he's been and like clearly has no time for yeah, her. being a and, dick. Like, I don't know. That's like a very good piece of characterization compared uh-huh. to the conversation we get with Kyle. Kyle. Like, final, <laughs> final girl early on when, um, you know, he's like, ah, oh, no, I'm your family now. And then ominously picks up the phone. It's at the same time, why bother with all of these excessive red herrings? Yeah. When we've when seen we know who the murderer the is at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's also th- this is extra confusing. I was I wrote one of my notes is like why is this dude even in the movie? Because they they give him a minute at the beginning and then he comes back at the end and like tries to look cool with a butterfly knife, which it's hard to look cool with a butterfly knife, but he does not look cool with a butterfly knife. Uh, and then and then he's just gone, right? He doesn't and he's not there for us to think he's the murderer. There there's if anything we have the sister Agnes who were like ooh maybe it's someone in the house and then partway through the movie they're like nah it's just this other lady and you're like why. 
why did you do that? Yeah. Why wasn't that one of the characters? <laughs> because then there's at least like a thing happening in the movie instead of them just being like, and now someone else is here also doing murders. <laughs> also, how am I supposed to read Agnes? She's is uh, she yeah. is she meant to be a trans character? Is she meant to be a man who's cross-dressing? Am I meant to read her as a cis woman? But she's just happenstantially played by a man who's not making any effort to be a woman. I genuinely don't know how I'm supposed to read her and how mad politically to be at this film. Yeah, I think the latter. And I think in 06, that was just supposed to be like an extra, like we're disarming you a little bit more. And now that reads as like kind of wildly problematic. Yeah. You know, should have in 06. Uh, Yeah. Don't love that. And that's another thing that it yeah. took me like three watches to really even like wrap my head around. Like, so what is going on here? Yeah. Is this, was Billy putting on a wig this Because they time? never explain it. Because they really don't. Yeah. Which is funny because this movie explains so much, but they don't really yeah. explain like, why does Agnes kill the same way as someone who tried to kill her? Like, right. Like, they don't. I don't, there's something missing there in their fan fiction. But they're very much going into this, like, and, and, and movies often do this, like everyone who lashes out was abused. Right. And his abuse is very clear in the movie. And then her abuse is unclear. So then you're like, is the abuse that she's like a boy who was raised as a girl. And we're meant to read that as a form of, of like, she's being forcibly regendered against her will. And that's why she's, a murderer now all of it is like but but it's unexplored and and so you're like should i be mad at this movie or is it just clumsily doing a thing where they think i'm gonna think she's a woman i felt like it was very clearly the latter like i didn't even wonder if i was supposed to wonder about that because of the okay. way the movie was i feel like they would have told me they if would I was have gone into to it. wonder yeah. like that's how i felt That's watching fair. the movie because they so hit you over the head with everything yeah. that it just felt like it was badly done that part they were like okay. oh there was she witnessed a murder so that explains that she's a murderer I always hesitate to attribute things to poor filmmaking but maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. that's what it is in this case <laughs> no and I get that and I like looking at like ooh was that a choice and I just don't get why it was a choice but I just I don't know. So much about this movie felt so flat to me that I just didn't. I guess I didn't extend it. <laughs> you that were like, great. "Oh, something." <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I honestly think it was probably just like a, a way of confusing you about the the like nature of the killer. I don't know. I think they probably wanted to make you wonder if it was Billy in a wig or if there were two killers. Uh. Yeah, not a great choice. Whatever the whatever the. But it's also I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe they had an actress quit and they had to just right, yeah. put a put a put a guy. From They're the like crew they grabbed a grip. Who knows? Um, <laughs> they, yeah. there are, it's possible. I don't, Bob Bob and Twin Peaks yeah. was cast out of to compare this to That's Lynch true. again. Was cast They're like, ah, like, oh, you were in a, a shot. In crew that looks good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the there are murders happening before Billy gets out of the place. Right. So well, you're yeah, never we, like, we are there two murderers? You know from minute one that there are two murderers. Yeah, I'm going to back up to Billy because this to me is the part that most upsets me because it's like, why? why? Like they, they when, he, when he dunks it in the milk, right? Ev- that's, that's what just really yeah, everything. <laughs> You're like, it's not going to absorb any milk. It's skin, you dum-dum. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Bennett, I'll ha- you can describe this better because I had a fever, like I said, when oh, I watched God. this and it was just like, basically, Billy is 
a yellow baby who becomes I love an how incestuous yellow he is. cannibal. Um, I love how blue their house is and how yellow that boy is. And but how uncurable his jaundice is. There are, you yeah, said this, Bennett. Just... You said this, but there are some really sort of scintillating early 2000s aesthetic choices happening in this movie. There are some choices in this yes. movie, which I think is, I don't know, is more than you could say about a lot of movies. Um, <laughs> the, the making a character very yellow seems very seems directly lifted from Sin City yeah. just the year before. Was it before? I um, uh, I thought about looking that up I and then I was is, like, I no way. Yeah, yeah. I think they would. I, I think it's also a Dimension film. I could be wrong. Because uh, I think that's a Rodriguez film. Is. He's definitely yeah. in the stable. They were literally like, all right, we paid a lot for this effect. We're, we're, we're using this effect again. Let's write the Phillies jaundice. Yeah. You might say it's fitting this movie's more jaundiced look at uh, sisterhood in uh, sororities. No, no, no. Um, so Billy is uh, the the serial killer who... Oh, another, another way this movie is ahead of its time. Michelle Trachtenberg's character has a very ahead of her time, um, like, true crime brain because she says, uh, no, Billy wasn't a serial killer. He's a spree killer, which is very, like, something someone would say in 2018, yeah. not in 2006. Very funny. He was raised in the house that's now the sorority house he was the uh severely jaundiced son of uh kind of like a bitter alcoholic mother and this i guess just stoic vietnam veteran dad because like he's clearly like not okay with the abuse that's going on with billy but he doesn't like leave i think he's a stepdad oh is he the no he was Dad. No, he was the he dad was the because dad. she has was he the dad yeah she has the line where mm. she's like i hated my baby because yeah. he looks like him Oh, yeah, weird. Okay. He looks like her husband. Yeah. I don't know why I read him as a step. Okay, weird. I mean, it's probably <laughs> not a bad take, but. Uh, all sorts of just nuts movie abuse is going on to Billy. All sorts of nuts Christmassy abuse is going on. She's like crushing up like ornaments in his bed so like roll over on like broken glass. Like, I don't know. Like, that felt like something out of a fucking John Waters movie to me. Yeah. Like, I really loved that. Like, I felt like I was watching like female trouble. <laughs> like, is, is someone about to open like Cha Cha Heel? <laughs> But basically, he grows up um, in this sort of miserable uh, situation, and uh, eventually, uh, oh, I should, at first they murder his father, and Billy right. witnesses it, uh, hiding in, like, the crawl space. Oh, right. And That's what I was thinking of. She, there's another guy around after the dad's dead. That's what yeah, I was thinking there's, of. Yeah, there's a stepdad. Rather than just kill him, I don't know, at that point, you've, like, killed somebody and buried them in the crawl space. They lock him up in the attic, which, again, like... And not to be the CinemaSins guy, necessitates the same level of explaining why they're not around. I don't know why you would keep a person in the attic. Um, but uh, she decides, she conceives a child with Billy. You mean like as murdering through... them? Like you have to explain as much to the community yeah, yeah. if it's, somebody's yeah, locked exactly. up as if you kill like, them. Yeah. Burying your husband in the crawl space necessitates the same amount of right. explaining as locking your child up in well, the she attic. She doesn't want to murder a child. Well, I don't know. I, she seems like she... Like, she was crushing up ornaments into his crib. I feel like, I, I don't she know. I, I just feel like poisoning him is like not a leap from that point. Um, but anyway, uh, she then uh, conceives a child with uh, Billy uh, through uh, incest and, and rape and uh, has the daughter she always wanted, Agnes. And then basically years later, when Billy seems to be, I don't know, like maybe like in his like 20s almost, um, he one night uh, snaps and uh, kills his mother and his stepfather and uh, pokes out young Agnes's eye and uh, eats it in a quite a quite a graphic scene. Uh, if you thought there was a lot of eye trauma in those Fulci films we talked about, <laughs> folks, wait do you see how many eyeballs get plucked out and eaten in this. See, film. That's another thing that to me is like they literally just took the scene where it's like, oh, the scary thing where we see one eye. 
what if he eats eyeballs? Yeah. <laughs> like, it just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, well, hey... <laughs> Uh, and then he um, he turns his mother into Christmas cookies and cannibalizes her. Yeah, and, he turns. Uh, it's really a gross. Little bit of her. Not most of her is just a dead body. <laughs> I guess it's mostly just like skin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he. Well, uh, the cutting with the Christmas cookies is really visceral. Yeah. But what really gets me is he dunks it in milk and takes a bite, and you get a close up of teeth. It's really really revolting. Uh. I think my my disdain my my disgust around the subject of milk has come up on the podcast before. Many I feel like times. We talked about Neil Young. We talked about the milk. Yeah. <laughs> really bad that's the one scene for me if i'd been in a test audience that had been like lose the milk um incest fine jaundice fine milk gross we should probably wind this movie down um i'm so glad before you stop us i'm so glad that they brought andrea martin back i love andrea martin big sctv fan from small times I'm so glad they brought her back to be the house mother, and I'm glad that she doesn't. The first house mother, I don't remember her name, Mrs. Mack, Mrs. right? Mack, it gets yeah. she dies pretty early in the movie, and in this one they're and like pretty brutal. They're yeah. like we're keeping her around. She's fun to hang out with. She doesn't yeah. die until and, pretty late, and she's not killed by anybody. She just gets no, freak exactly. accident. She gets kind murdered. of a fun comedy death. She doesn't get like an indig- She doesn't get like split open yeah. or something. Yeah, she just gets killed by an icicle. Yeah, randomly Which falling. So a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> well, they show the high school so many times. It's like, well, something's yeah. gonna. I figured like they'd like stab Billy with one, but it's like, but that's a very like yeah. Jalo move. Really? This like fetishistic close up of something that's gonna end up, you know. It's also a very Jalo move to be know. like random death in the middle of all yeah. of this very intentional death, right? It's like, what are the chances? Yeah, die so, by yeah. high school with two murderers in the house. Right? Can I just say the part that bothered me the most? Um, I've seen this movie three times and I couldn't remember a single person's name. Um, but one of the women is smoking. That's Kyle. Yeah. So one of the women is smoking on the front porch and like the icicle drips and like puts her cigarette out. And so she yeah. just like perfectly drops it through one of Billy's like peak holes in the porch. It's like, uh-huh. yeah. really? No. Oh, I like that. I like. I think that's a nice move. He also at one point is looking through a tack hole. I feel yeah. like I've been I, the cinema sense guy yeah. about a movie that I like, or that I, I'm, I, I thought. Look, I'm defending. I do think there are so many peepholes in that house that it's weird that no one is questioning it. Right. Yeah. They're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I will say at least they show a pile of butts down there. So I think that's the hole they yes. put yeah. the cigarettes yeah. in on purpose. I, yeah, I believe that that's okay, a regular. If she's like, yeah, hey, drop it down the hole. Still, it's just but like yeah. no. It wasn't a great scene. But also, you're right that that like direct line between the three means that I- Icicle was dripping straight in Billy's eyeball until he dropped the cigarette. <laughs> so I think this is probably going to come as a surprise to no one. Do you, Jim, you look really excited. What's up? I was just going through my notes. There's there's one other. It's like most of this movie is like pretty grimy mid 2000s murders when there are murders. But there's one where Agnes just throws an ice skate across a room at someone and that kills them, which is like yeah. cuckoo bananas. And there's no way. Michelle Trachtenberg. Yeah, it's the Michelle Trachtenberg. herself. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, she just, yeah. she like it's not like she like punches her with it. It's not like she does something like grimy and slices her open. She just whips it across a room and she, it hits her and she <laughs> dies. And then you get this lingering shot of like the back of her head yeah, yeah. it's one of the real like gore shots you get because that's one way in which this movie really differs real from Jello movies, i thought Jello movies you usually get a lot of like lingering like stabbing um yeah and stuff like that you really 
there's a lot of uh you know lingering on the penetration here it's a lot of blood spray yes so many shots of someone's blood hitting something there's mary elizabeth winstead who goes on to be probably like the most famous person in this cast is basically killed Uh, off screen yeah we get the one shot of like billy's point of view about to kill her in the car and then we just see uh mrs mack watching the the blood hit the windshield Mm -hmm. um i uh, feel like they really kind of overused that effect here which maybe felt like they didn't have the budget for like better bigger gore effects or something i don't know i i don't remember if i mentioned this yesterday when we were talking but 1963 is the year of both uh the girl who knew too much which is widely credited as the original giallo right baba's girl who knew too much 1963 is also blood feast herschel gordon lewis's first splatter movie and i so i was thinking about just sort of the lineage of american horror movies and how it feels like the original black black christmas is pulling a lot more from giallo than for sort of what was happening in America up until then. But this movie, as you just sort of alluded to, is very much more on the Herschel Gordon-Lewis train, right? It's not about the sort of, like, look at watching this, like, upsetting body moment and and feeling the black-gloved killer doing a thing. It's very much more on the, like, we're just going to watch a bunch of blood shoot out of somebody and splatter on a wall. Yeah. Because <laughs> the one, I mean, the, the one real, like, lingering, the, the, the real lingering stuff you get is afterwards in like agnes's lair when we've got all the eyeless corpses that's the real sort of like lingering stuff we get it's all Mm. kind of like aftermath can we before we move on can we just talk briefly about just how the movie ends yeah so let me lead into that with a question um (laughs) this is what i was going to bring up earlier yeah so we mentioned the weinsteins and their control earlier but they literally made them reshoot the end of this film because they wanted more gore. Like, if it, this should come as a surprise to no one, but the Weinsteins yeah. are the ones who said, like, we need some incest in this movie. Like, sure. We need some more gore. Um, how about some cannibalism? And so, like, they made sure that was in the movie. But they actually... The director said the original ending was supposed to be an homage to the first movie where Billy calls the main girl in the hospital room and just starts saying, are you there? It's me, Billy. That was okay. supposed to be the ending, which like, I'll admit that. Okay. That's not bad. That <laughs> It's more tasteful. Um, who wants to uh, describe how this one ends? <laughs> it's the star on top of the tree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it's the, we, we're in a hospital with wh- whoever, whichever 2000s TV star is the main character, and she's being pursued by Agnes and Billy. Uh, and then what w- eventually murders Agnes and is being chased by just Billy. Uh, and they're running through the hospital, and then she like what throws Billy over some stairs and he lands on a Christmas tree. And a bunch of people are running around yelling because a man, the, the, a stranger, a man they don't know as a murderer, just fell onto the top of a Christmas tree. And she just kind of like is there on top of the stairs. And then we cut to black. And we're like, wait, no, we're in the middle of a thing right now. What is about? And we get this. What's happening? Shot of his, like intestines wrapping around the top. Yeah. Of the tree. Also, she defibrillates Agnes in the oh, head. Oh, right. She defibrillates <laughs> Agnes in the head. <laughs> Which is then repeated in Scream 4. Is it? You'll all remember. That's funny. Of course. Yeah. She spends a really long long time waiting for those paddles to charge yeah i feel like they should i i i I heard this i think it was someone on a podcast about this like they should have written that she was like a med student or something and she would know like what the right amount is or something yeah yeah, that should have been a payoff a better film would have had some sort of payoff there at least a more tightly yeah tight well except apparently they just chucked that ending on at the end they were like how can you kill someone in the hospital room which i mean a million ways (laughs) other than defibrillator to the head but also you know one of the most killable places. <laughs> yeah. What was 
I heard there were like four or five endings. Whoa. Or something so like that on I think the what, DVD extra. Like Clue. Like they released it different ways and different. <laughs> well, I don't think that. <laughs> and some of them, Agnes the wins. <laughs> so, no, I did read the European cut has a different ending and it's like four or six mm. minutes shorter because they were like, there's way too much stupid gore in this. Take this out. <laughs> um, but I don't. It's a weird thing to take out. <laughs> well, in this I cut out other things. <laughs> um, so I don't, re- I don't remember what. The, the differences between the European ending, but I think mm. it's not Billy being the star on top of the tree. Um, <laughs> and, and his intestines being the tinsel, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Who could forget that? Yeah, they like wrap around, they're kind of like moving. Yeah, yeah they slither down like a yeah. snake. Yeah, well, on that lovely note, we should probably get moving. <laughs> Who's got, anyone want to get any final thoughts out about this one? I mean, it's... It's an interesting I, remake. Folks, check it out. <laughs> I couldn't do it a second time. I was going to be a trooper and like watch it a second time to have more thoughts, and I just couldn't do it. I think it's worth, it's worth at least <laughs> flipping into it to see yellow. how yellow the dude is. <laughs> they, put, they put a lot of effort into yellowing that guy, and I think baby. it's worth seeing. Yeah, The yellow baby's pretty hilarious. I'll give you that, Jim. <laughs> yes, no, I'm with you. It's like, I don't need to see it again. It's... yeah. Also, whoever plays Billy's mom is funny. She has like a whole yeah, scene yeah, where she, she talks should... with a cigarette hanging right. out of your out yeah. of her lip. She's like puke into a coffee cup with a cigarette in her mouth. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I'd love a I'd love a vodka swilling movie parent when I can get one. Yeah. Folks, um, listen, it's not a it's not a great movie. If you're looking for something tasteful to share with the family, um, this is it. <laughs> if you're if you're looking for a remake of Bob Clark's wonderful film, if you're looking for something that will even remind you of Bob <laughs> Clark's wonderful film, besides in the title and the name of some characters, you probably don't want to watch this. But honestly, if you want to see the mid aughts horror remake, the the wildly mean spirited. <laughs> mid-aughts horror remake taken to its apotheosis i don't think you could do much better than this um i don't recommend watching it as many times as i have i don't recommend buying it on amazon (laughs) but watch it once or twice it's on freebie Uh, you can watch it with um you can watch it with ads i unfortunately one of the reasons i had to go look and see if i could rent or buy it is because of the um you know how like uh it'll like auto start stuff when you're in the credits on like streaming services i'm stuck in a spot playing black christmas on freebie where i cannot rewind to get out of the starting the next thing i'm just fucking stuck i've tried it like 10 times so i had to i had to buy this movie for free folks don't end up where i am watch it on tubi uh, like a real movie lover i think it's also on hulu if you have hulu better recommendation yes Oh, also, we didn't mention Mary Elizabeth Winstead's wild accent in this movie. At least oh, my yeah. parents want me to come home. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, she, they, they seem to decide almost like, like halfway through where? that she's Southern. <laughs> yeah. She, they, they, they seem to have written in that she's like a NASCAR heiress or something. She's repeatedly called like a NASCAR <laughs> bitch or something. Yeah. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. We're, vroom, vroom. We'll be right back to talk about the 2019 Black Christmas. <laughs> Stick mm-hmm. with us. There's more coming. Up in the rat house, shit went down. And I'm telling everyone in town, I didn't lead you on for goodness sake. I couldn't have cause I wasn't awake. Ho, 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 I didn't know. Ho, 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 
I didn't know. Yes, up in the frat house, click, click, click. What you guys do in here is sick. All right, so we are talking about the 2019 Black Christmas now. So when this movie came out, literally everything I saw about this movie was people calling it the hashtag, and they, they pretty much all said hashtag the Me Too version of Black Christmas. That was all I knew about the movie until I watched it recently because I didn't know anyone who had actually seen it. How do you feel about how this movie was rolled out? And did you see it when it came out or did you see it more recently? I did not see it when it came out. I don't think that description is wrong. Well, definitely. It has a lot of things that are very much like here is a direct commentary on a thing that happened this year that this movie is coming out. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Ben, did you see it when it came out? No, I didn't see it until probably like a year later because... I saw the trailer a ton of times and it's a very famously spoiler heavy trailer. But then I, I do remember the discourse around when this movie came out, which seems an apt word discourse was kind of toxic. People were kind of like immediately calling it like woke Christmas. We're really like dismissing it. And then also admittedly, there was like a certain, I don't know, uh, someone on, I, I think it was Kristen Yinsu Kim on letterbox called it like t-shirt feminism. There was a certain, like stink of like t-shirt feminism mm. about this movie. But um, I don't know in, in, in watching it, I, I've certainly come to come to like it a bit. Um, oh, also uh, we, we, that April, April Wolf's piece for film comment sort of talking about the impetus for the film and sort of defending the film. She even does sort of admit, yeah, we were kind of trying to make, we, we kind of were given a mandate basically. I think they, they had like a year to go from like starting the script to like, it's going to be in theaters. And it seems like they approached it as, what if Black Christmas was like Invasion of the Body Snatchers? And we very consciously put it in another decade. So I mentioned the rollout, though, and like how they promoted the film, because everything I heard about it was like people on Twitter like, oh, this is stupid. Like, it's a Me Too version of a great movie. Oh, they leaned into the frat stuff in the promotion big oh, time, which yeah. is like the twist of the movie, kind of. So, right. it, yeah. But I mentioned this because like, I thought that was people just like trying to be mean about this movie. Like, oh, it has nothing to say other than like, you know, it's like the girls rock version of this. But seeing that it was like, that was the entire point. I, it's just, it's tough to talk about this movie without talking about how people approached it when it came out. Because this movie was just like a firestorm of hatred towards it, obviously by men. You know, it's not like... <laughs> shocking at all it's like the most predictable outcome but i don't know snow do you maybe want to just give us a quick rundown of how this one approached the black christmas story and what it's all about it is based in a sorority house and people do get murdered but that's kind of where the plot similarities end this one takes a very different approach it gives like little nods visually and such to the um glass unicorn the, mm -hmm. yes the glass unicorn is definitely there. The cat. I think this yeah. cat is Claudette. Who's now named Claudette? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Claudette. Yeah. Um, yeah. With yeah. a W. <laughs> yes. With a W. Uh, and there's, of course, a, a bag overhead at some point, you know, because that has to happen. But um, other than that, they went a very different way. And it's a very, like, bring down the patriarchy movie about sorority sisters coming together and battling quite literally like 
magical toxic masculinity. It's like yeah, toxic masculinity that becomes black goo and then makes them <laughs> murder people. So that that's the the rundown. Um, <laughs> it's very very 2019. Very you know right now. Um, so something I really liked about the movie and I thought it did really well actually is it started out in like a different sorority house than we see for the rest of the movie. And I kind of loved that and it didn't come around till the end. And I think it was a really one. It like doesn't pretend like the audience is dumb. It's like, okay, you can kind of remember that and we can go do something else for a while. But it also kind of brought home that they were trying to make something that felt universal at this moment and felt very like, a commentary on things going on everywhere, not just in this one little microcosm of like, oh, there's a murderer in the house. Yeah, I I actually like that first scene. It's mm-hmm. it comes out strong, but I can't say it holds it up. How do you feel? How do you feel about that first scene? Because it is kind of a shocking, like, oh, okay, there's something weird going on here. I thought it was interesting that it it feels like it includes like references to like a part of like Halloween that we don't associate with black Christmas. There's that scene in Halloween where Jamie Lee Curtis is trying to get help and like no one comes to their door. This seemed like sort of calling to mind that we, we really get like humanization of the victim from early on too. I'm sorry to say like the victim there. That's maybe a a product of the fact that we're talking about a horror movie, but uh, you know, I I think as has been noted by people writing about the film, like as she's about to be killed, she's like, I'm sorry for whatever happened. Um, You know, it's, it's clearly like, we're like, we're 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 immediately in a milieu where like the women in this film are on their guard and are like expecting something like this could happen, and I think that's captured pretty well in that early scene. The sort of menace uh, surrounding the characters and also like their reactions to it puts you in you know a spot where like this sort of thing is like maybe more commonplace, uh, where, where like horror movie scenarios are like existing in real life. Yeah, about a couple of the other movies we talked about how it kind of like set a very different Christmas tone with each movie. Like the first one sets a very like seventies warm, fuzzy Christmas tone. The second one has this more like garish jazzy. And this one, I just keep remembering that animatronic bear hand that was really creepy while she's trying to knock on the doors. And I felt like that like weird kind of over the top front yard was effective for me for setting like a very modern Christmas tone where she's kind of like lost in this weird sea of like bought fancy lawn ornaments trying to knock on a door. It's it's very like late stage capitalism. Yeah. (laughs) As a setting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a fun juxtaposition too because it's like here here are these people who are like we're the we're the fun neighbors but like yeah. someone in our neighborhood is like knocking on our door for dear life and like I'm not gonna put my slippers on and go check the door fuck that well and then doesn't um, one of the like yeah robed you know, person and then then a robed, robed person like knocks on the door yeah. yeah answers the door yeah who I I, mean, I guess we eventually find out that's sort of supernatural but uh, at that point you know yeah. not knowing that it creates like a it, it makes this sort of milieu sort of sinister and I also mm-hmm. it's not a very Christmassy movie in terms of no. the aesthetic compared to the other mm-hmm. ones there's not a lot of like Christmas lights or anything to me it really perfectly captures like college at winter break where you're yeah. just like oh right it's it's December 19th uh, yeah. up until yesterday I was thinking about you know the classes I'm taking and now it's like oh right it's Christmas and I have to go uh-huh. home and you know, be, be immersed in Christmas. Like it, it captures this thing where it's like all 
you have to show that it's December 19th is maybe a couple of houses like in the, the town nearby have their lights up and it's unusually cold. It's, it's mm-hmm. like a, it's like a winter aesthetic, but not like this, this warm holiday aesthetic. And I think, and then they this, like this try to put up there. a tree. Yeah. yeah. That was a nice little college scene where it's like, they kind of don't know what they're doing, but they yeah, yeah the Christmassy stuff here feels like forced. Yeah. It yeah. feels like, it, it feels like it's either like a college trying to, it's either this like old stone imposing college trying to put on like a friendly aesthetic or it's college students trying to be like adults having like a yeah. Christmas yeah. at home sort of We thing. can cook yeah. a ham. Yeah. It does do a good job of that sort of being 19 and trying to figure out how to be an adult person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did like, um, well, I didn't like all of it, but I liked some of the dialogue between the women and I thought it was very sure. like realistic and well done and like felt like, yeah, I've heard these conversations happen not necessarily with me involved, but with my younger friends when I was at their college dorms. <laughs> like, I've heard them interact in these ways. It's true. It's, uh, Ben, I mentioned with the last one, there's that, there's like clearly like adult people trying to write text messages. And you're like, that's uh-huh. not how people text each other. But the, the parlance, the like manner of speaking in this feels very honest to people of that age at that time, which I'm an old man. So like, <laughs> I'm maybe not the most in touch, but I, but to, to the best of my understanding, it feels like pretty on point in terms of how people actually talk to each other, which is yeah. rare. It's rare to watch yeah. a movie about people who are like college age and be like, these people look and act kind of college age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's written in a very online style that feels yeah. like mostly pretty pretty like authentic or at least like not clay i think it's funny that the app they use is called yip yap which is definitely supposed to be a reference to yik yak you remember yik yak i, I no. don't know if they, I, I might be the only person who was at it. college when yik yak you you were I, also I in college too, when yik yeah. yak was around <laughs> yeah craig so yik yeah. yak for for snow and jim was it was like a location specified reddit basically and one of the first big changes okay. they did was they made it so you couldn't use it on like high school and middle school campuses but basically it was like a reddit localized to your college campus and you could do like threads and then so you could only talk to people who were downvote near you. on it and yeah yeah you, you would start threads and that would get upvoted and downvoted and you could comment funny. on those threads but i used to just it was so much fun to use it to like troll people to like pretend like you were calling the cops on them for smoking weed like you I were would be, you, you know, were these guys yeah yeah i would love oh, I, would, <laughs> I would post on yik yak like well except like you didn't have a name associated with it it was, it was uh, all okay. totally anonymous and i think that's another change they made eventually is that mm. they like but yik yak was truly like the most short-lived most toxic social <laughs> yes. network ever yeah, like, what, like a year <laughs> that idea but, is it's like it's localized it's on your college campus it's fully anonymous oh, yeah. like that what a but, terrible <laughs> idea God. i would i mean i i love nothing more <laughs> than just like trolling people being like hey you know whoever's smoking weed outside of macintosh i hope prison uniforms are in tie-dye buddy i just called campo you know and meanwhile i'm out back of bundy you know high out of my gourd i feel like you made very good use of this oh i loved it i had i had so much fun with you (laughs) anyway uh, (laughs) so one thing we talked about with the first black christmas episode is about the characters are just so fully formed uh, this is one thing director Sophia Tikal said was one of the major influences about why they made it as a Black Christmas is because in 1974, Bob Clark had these characters who were, you know, women who were completely relatable. So I'm just curious, how do you guys feel about 
the characters in this film because I personally don't feel like they're as fully formed as in Bob Clark's version. I, I just found myself kind of thinking like, who are these people? You know, they're, they're just a little more hollow, I think. I don't think they're as well written, I think is the key point. I absolutely agree that they're not as well written as Bob Clark's version for sure, which I think is a little bit sad because I do feel like the actors did a really good job of like relating in this very realistic way and feeling very real. But yeah, there weren't those subtle things and the things that they do like give mention to feel very made up, very storyland, like the fact that she did, it doesn't have any parents but they don't really go into why at any point or like what happened and she's just kind of cool with it Mm -hmm. like and she doesn't have anyone she goes home to like these weird like little missing things that felt very unnatural and very not like you don't get those like weird details that you got in black christmas that would you know random details come up you have that record of mrs mac in the background that yeah. like is so subtle and lovely and yeah. the, yeah, the so orphan thing is dropped like it is going to be important and then it's not it's not like plot important and it's not real interesting or good character development it's just like a weird thing they put at you it really is yeah it's yeah. it's strange it's really it, strange it is i agree that the actors are good and i think could do more You know, I think they're all doing a good job with what they have. For me, I feel like the all you get of a character, right, ultimately to 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 approach filmmaking very cynically, a character is just a collection of decisions given various opportunities. Right. Um, All all they get to do is decide what they're going to do in various situations. And that's how you learn everything about them. And in like the Bob Clark movie, we spend a lot of time doing stuff that is that is related to the movie, but isn't related to like murderers or to some major overarching point right um it's just a lot of people like being there for christmas so you have time to sort of meet them as human beings and this movie from minute one is like i have an agenda right uh it's it's got stuff it is dealing with so they're always working for business they don't have any time to just be human beings they're constantly trying to to sell you one thing and i i like the politics of this movie i feel like it's certainly it sounds like the internet i was not i didn't know this movie existed until we decided to watch it i missed all of however it rolled out and whatever the backlash was it's easy to it's imagine predictable use your imagination <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah well that's what i'm saying it's easy it's like carrie always is playing jordan peterson in this movie right uh-huh. there's a certain group of people who this movie is taking a swing at who are openly hateful on the internet about anything they don't like and they uh, clearly would hate this movie and so it's easy to see how that backlash would come with the movie and i want to make it clear that that's not where i'm coming from i think the politics of this movie are very good this movie feels like it's trying to like walk in sort of the footsteps of like like the jordan jordan peele model of movies that are like about things which and i i would say this is i'm going to go off on a brief tangent here i think uh get out i think is a very well-made smart movie his two movies since then i i think are in terms of a narrative drive kind of fall apart they they mostly function as as subtextual metaphors and he sort of loses sight of text um yeah because he's so trying to sort of construct the subtext pretty fine this movie is doing that same thing except it forgot to make any of its subtext it's just the text of the movie is what would be subtext in a s- smarter written movie 
uh, but but it's just made text, and and then that doesn't leave room for there to be another text on top yes. of it, right? It's yeah. just telling you opinions and thoughts about things that happened that year and things that are happening culturally, and they're good opinions and thoughts. To me, it feels a little bit like, and and again, I'm a cranky old man, so to me, it feels like a little bit of a disservice, right? Like I feel like a teenager who is maybe going through things or thinking about things deserves a better movie that making the same points uh, than, than this one is. But I also could imagine, I don't know if I were a kid in 2019, like, you know, 16 year old, maybe I would have been like enough of this connects with me that it is sort of a fun ride. And I am getting things to think about and things to talk to my friends about. I think I would have loved it as like a, yeah, 13-year-old girl. I think I would have loved it. Okay, good. And I think this is what's key about it, is that even though I think the plot totally falls apart at the end, it is very silly, kind of, at the end with the yeah. the goo and the possessions and yeah. whatever, <laughs> and, like, how it works. I don't know. Um, but it's a really fun revenge fantasy, and I don't think young women get a lot of revenge fantasies that are a little bit horror-ish. And I think that's where the powerful part lies for me is that, like, it's a revenge fantasy, but it's not, like, over the top dumbed down, even though it feels very dumbed down for me as an adult. Like, I don't think it would. So I guess I'm taking it from the viewpoint of, like, I see this as being a sort of fun, fairly well-made girl power movie. Can I just say for context, <laughs> it took us almost 42 minutes to bring up that the first Black Christmas has like this pivotal thing about abortion in it. <laughs> we literally had to lead into this movie talking about the I politics. Bet, yeah. And like I to <laughs> me that comes out as a weakness because that to me says like there is not enough like in the script to talk about without directly addressing like the political well because that's what it is overtones so, no correct yeah but because it is overtones I just, I just think it's like you have to and I know that was like the intention of this movie is like it's so much like it's a political thing but I think they just kind of forgot to make it a good movie. If that movie makes part. sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it definitely does a disservice to the characters because Correct. they get yeah, reduced yeah. to yeah, what yeah. their opinions are on these things. Yeah, exactly. Although they do have like a few nice moments, and like I do like that they don't hate each other. Yes, and that they support each other. Their aunts. Like that where like in the 06 one, you feel like everyone hates each other. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I liked. I kind of liked the ants thing. I thought yeah. that was the ants thing though. Like to me, it's it seems to suggest a different script it's a, a script where that came up more often that's not like a christmas yeah. movie that's not shoehorned into this uh black christmas sort of thing wait, right what, what do you mean like where would the ants come up no i just mean that it's it's brought up as this like big callback this big like emotional callback that it feels like it was part of like a script that was originally called like the colony or something you know <laughs> yeah and they about, also like, didn't have the conversation soon enough like it needed to come up sooner sure. i feel like exactly like back, that conversation but, about animals yeah. happens like five minutes earlier it yeah. feels like it was part of a movie where yeah. they're starting talking yeah. about animals and a movie about a sorority that's not necessarily yeah. a christmas movie um yeah. it has to be about you know but um a, a couple notes um i <laughs> I have a couple Sorry. of notes. <laughs> no, I've just been I've just been trying to keep up with. Um, the one thing I wanted to say that I is probably it's, it's unnecessarily mean that the, the the piece from April Wolf in Film Comment where she talks about um, the the quick turnaround. Sorry, is April Wolf one of the filmmakers? Uh, one of the co-writers. I okay. think it's very important to note how quick the turnaround was because I think 
implicit within that is Blumhouse came Blumhouse came to us with you're going to make a Black Christmas because there was very much a discourse leading up to this that a woman had never directed a Blumhouse movie. And Jason Blum gave this weird kind of interview about it. Like, oh, well, there's not a lot of women directors and uh, even fewer that want to do horror movies. So it really felt like they were sort of putting the I know like the half horse. a dozen women filmmakers who make horror movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it really <laughs> it felt just... like I'm not even that in the scene, but I know a bunch. <laughs> this, uh, the whole movie felt like uh, an exercise in, you know, covering the studio's ass and putting yes. the cart before the horse. So it uh. put it put Sophia to call and April Wolf in a really awkward position to have to sort of probably very quickly synthesize a lot of ideas that they were, might have been thinking about for scripts, and then also back it into being set on a college set on a college campus around Christmas break in a sorority house where girls are getting picked off. And I, I think it's very important that in like the narrative of how this film got to be made that like the short timeline is underlined, and also mm-hmm. that like part of it was being timely was part of the mandate. But also, I don't think she does herself any favors in that article by noting that this was like the 49th draft of the script. What would have, what would, I think she's exaggerating a little bit. She says like, we must have, we must have tossed around 50 drafts. And I wanted to say like, what is what is 51 look like? What does 52 look like, please? Just a a few more passes. (laughs) But also like after five, what are you doing? You're just starting over. Feeling necessarily mean saying that, but. This is important context. Um, so one thing that is really important to note is the film's intention. Because, Snow, like you mentioned, like this is a movie you said you would have loved to have seen when you were 13. Sophia Takal said they made this as a movie for young girls who are interested in horror films but don't really have like a launching point. Um, with that, she said they cut almost 30 minutes of footage to drop it from an R rating to PG-13 in Whoa. order to hit a, more of a niche audience. So, Bennett, I wonder if that has an impact on the <laughs> 50 drafts because they were trying to keep it within, like, you know, the socially acceptable <laughs> realm of PG-13. I like that it's a revenge movie, returning to something uh, that you said, Snow, that doesn't mm-hmm. luxuriate in the act that they're taking revenge yeah. because of. Yeah. It's not Most even part of the rape movie. rape revenge movies... The rape is a huge section, and you're usually yeah. mm-hmm. watching the rape for as long as you're watching any of the yeah. revenge. This image of Poots is... Uh, I, I don't think they make her enough of a character to make her... Uh, this, this then brings me to another point. At the same time, it's obviously very important for this movie that Imogen Poots is someone who... I, I don't remember the character's name. That says something. Riley. Uh, that, Im- that Imogen Poots is someone that this has happened to, Riley, but who is I not think. completely defined by it. That's obviously like important for like what the the script is is doing, like the mission of the film. That's very important, but there's not enough characterization that she really exists outside of being the you know the person uh, yes. for whom this is sort of a revenge story. And I agree, and we could have had more of that. Although I will say, part of the plot that I found somewhat engaging was that that was like some of her friends' point, and some of what this yeah. whole revenge sequence was supposed to do was to wake her up again because she had been like totally not a person since it happened. Yeah. Well, she um, is, and of course they totally could have done a better, more subtle job with that, but I think she is supposed to be a little bit blank. Yeah. yeah. I think the scene where she uh, is talking to uh, the friend who's more politically uh, Mm -hmm. active about it i think that is a really great analog to the scene with 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 phil and barb in the first film maybe even a better version of it but even just by virtue of the fact of like being written by two women and being that much more 
actually maybe uh, I don't know I don't sound like I'm like tokenizing here but maybe yeah. having a little bit more like experience with like a, conver- a conversation like that than Bob Clark and his co-writer did um, I don't know it, it really felt of a piece with that and it really felt like a t- an example of the film finding a similar sort of uh, inter uh, finding a similar sort of relationship that the first film did which you know something mm-hmm. the first film does so well like we talked about captures these complicated thorny relationships whereas the 06 version is really just uh, we we leaned into it's a horror movie and you're supposed to not like anybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> given I kind of want to put all three of these in context quick. So given mm-hmm. how they all approach the narrative, I mean, how do you feel they stack up against each other? Because I feel like the later two both have some glaring errors, and we haven't even really talked about how the 2019 one ends yet, but. Maybe just talking about the characters themselves. Like, how do you feel they stack up? Because I think I will say the weakest characters are in the second one because they just, I like I said, I didn't even know that the fun fact on IMDb was they were all named after like Christmas crooners. It's like <laughs> that yeah, went over yeah. my head. Oh. <laughs> um, Weird. I don't even remember. Was the one of them named Burl? Their last names. Yeah, there was Burl and Frank. (laughs) No, it was uh, Presley, um, Crosby. Yeah, stuff like that. But I'm really interested in how you feel these films approach the characters, though, because I don't think it's any question that Bob Clark did the best job of making them fully formed people who you can actually like root for. But the later ones, like, because I, I. I'm going to say the Weinsteins really did not do the second movie any favor because you can kind of feel like there is a seed of some good intention in that movie that just was soiled. Um, But the third one, like, I know they also had good intention. Like, all the interviews I've read with them, like, everything critical about the movie is, like, they said, like, yeah, we meant to do that. And it just doesn't seem like they got their mission fully accomplished. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys read these characters just across the three you know what's weird about the 06 one Hmm. is that claire's sister is introduced with this big dramatic flourish as if she's a character played by an actor from the first film i was wondering yeah (laughs) it seemed like she was important they're like he's i can't remember the actor's name she's she is glenn morgan's wife and is in like all of the films he's done she's the teacher in final destination she has like a horror movie name she's like she's like mrs luton or something yeah Hmm. um so i maybe they had wanted to cast like Olivia Hussey in the role or something. I thought they wanted us to think she was the other killer. I thought they were like, Ooh, big reveal. She's the one who's been crawling around. Maybe they just wanted to make it a red herring. Yeah. I feel like the, I feel like they're kind of equally sketchy in this, in the second two, but I feel like in, in the Oh six one there, I hate them. Yeah. They just don't have a rapport or anything. And then the 2019 one, I, I like, I mean, I feel sort of paternal towards them. Yeah. Again, because I'm 40, but like I, but like I have, I have, they feel kind of sketchy and like not real human beings. But I have like, I they're they're human beings that I think if they were real, I would care about them in a, to a degree. In a way that feels like more realistic to being like a college student who's trying to sketch out. Yeah, they seem like human the beings. Which you're a human being, you know. Whereas 2006, I just they were all so despicable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to hang out with them. Yeah. I felt like they were a step closer to real human beings in the 06 one for me. And I think a lot of that might have been the performance and the way they played off each other. But also, like, so I wish that they had made 
choices about better small moments to show personality, but the moments they did show didn't feel like moments that wouldn't happen for the most part. Yeah. Like some of them occasionally did, but a lot of the conversations felt like, okay, yeah, that conversation would happen. I just wish they had chosen a conversation that gave us a little more interesting clues about these characters. So I felt like they were a step closer, but still ended up being bland. And I don't know whether that was because they were rushed. Although I like the director's attitude. She was like, when is this going to feel like work? It's fun making movies. I'm like, I want to have be that carefree. Yeah. But, um, but maybe it should feel a little more like work. Yeah, it should know. feel a little like work, probably. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> um, so we probably need to talk about the big reveal because there is no Billy in this movie. It right. literally turns there's, into... There's a Billy slime. <laughs> Yeah, it's more of a snow. You pick this movie. I'm gonna make you tell us what it's about. Um, what what happens in the the big reveal? Because actually, actually let me back up and just say, because I think this home invasion scene when it's like, oh god, the killer's in the house, that was mm-hmm. actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But then it goes downhill. Yeah. From <laughs> yes, I agree. I liked the movie better when I didn't know what was happening. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. When they reveal it, it felt a little lame and a little bit like underwhelming and also like, oh, that's it? Yeah. Because they give this clue early on. She, the main character, Riley Imogen Poots. Poots? Poots. (laughs) She's got some Like farts? Um, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she witnesses this like sacred ceremony with the fraternity brothers, but we don't really know there's like real black magic going on. And then later we find out there is, and we're given little hints like that. Oh, the founder of the college. Cause they're like worshiping the bust of the founder of the college, which the politically active one had removed because he was a slave owner and a misogynist and apparently like would kill women who weren't subservient a lot of fun facts about that guy we get. And then the big reveal is that they somehow have been like empowered by the statue to be their true alpha self. And then if they put an item from the girls on this like altar, then the possessed fraternity brothers will know to kill them because they weren't good women. Um, which is why everyone's missing, like, someone's missing Things. their dildo and someone's missing their diva cup. And a hair which clip, it, right? It's nice that they keep them missing yeah. through the movie, but yeah. Um, so that's the big reveal. And that one of the sorority sisters is in on it because she thinks that she should be an obedient woman. I mm-hmm. I felt like the bo- both of those choices were ultimately, to me, read as, like, kind of undermining the overall political thing they were doing right there's like Mm. because by being like by being like these these men are all intrinsically fine but then when they're tainted by this Uh black slime it makes them evil it really sort of limits right like because misogyny comes with privilege which is just innate right it's a thing you you have to know is in you and know you have to fight against and I think that's way scarier than being like, there's a black slime. And yes. if someone puts that in you, then you're bad. Yeah. Right. It really, yes. it really felt like it was like apologizing for most men to me. But, but then also in that sort of final scene where they, there's the one woman who's like, you could be a trad wife like me. And they're like, 
we'll show you and and they they're like we'll make you Imogen Poots, is that right? We'll make you uh, subservient also. And then they break the other lady's neck. It's like, that's... When you die, you escape. That's not what there's... She should... They should be like, we're gonna force you to be subservient. That's what's scary, right? That's what's evil and terrifying, is to to make someone be less than. If somebody dies, then they're just done, right? They they win. They got out. They beat the Mm -hmm. video game. Interesting. Hmm. All of the ending choices to me felt like yeah. they were really undercutting what they were trying to do. But I, yeah, especially once making people subservient is like on the table as yeah, like something yes. they can do. Yeah, yeah. I agree though about like it seems like it's like letting the men in this movie off the hook. Like they're evil because they've been exposed to this goop, not because of yeah. like yeah, an inherent thing or any like decisions they're like themselves or, like, making. Deeply it's entrenched control. societal everything from all of history, right? It's like, I mean, I think they were trying to have the goop be a metaphor, obviously. It just felt really right. limited. But, oh I mean, yeah, yeah, of course. Toxic masculinity. Yeah made manifest my biggest question about the movie is like because it builds this like oh yeah you know she's the politically active one who like had this statue removed and it's like making this it just kind of reminded me of in the newest texas chainsaw remake how they paint the guy who carries the gun with him to be like this bad man because like the main character is a girl who survived a school shooting and like the whole time it's like what I'm, yeah, no, it's this is actually how it goes. Um, but they just paint this guy who is he's in Texas, you know, it's like he carries a gun and they're like, Why do you have a gun? He's like, You ever seen like a feral hog? Um, that's you know, reasonable, a little, little <laughs> exaggerated, but that's like basically where the idea came from. But like they paint him to be this terrible man because he has a gun. And then once Leatherface starts killing people, he's like becomes the hero who's all of a it's sudden like all oh, like, right good man with the gun yeah. yeah but like i've never seen a movie that's been more like oh my god guns are good and have a purpose but it's just like i don't think you realize how lost your political message gets when you do the movie this way because mm-hmm. it's just like seeing this was like so is the moral well, of that the other story... girl is the main character right she yeah, is the yeah, one yeah. who like ultimately saves the day and right who, like... but just seeing how like so they remove yeah. the statue and then all the bad stuff happens so it's like is the political message like leave stuff right, in yeah. place like we i just keep left with confused. these like big dumb gestures so yeah. it doesn't get worse yeah it's very very strange yeah. um, I, I don't mean i i, I yeah. like the decision to have like one of the sorority sisters complicit in it as much as that muddies yeah. things because i do yeah, think, I think like, that's really smart i don't know you guys all went to college like there are fraternities like this and for every fraternity mm-hmm. like this there is a sister sorority who is willing to you know run interference for them yeah um and i think that kind of i don't know i i like that this movie keeps space for both like sisterhood kind of like winning out and also there being women whose idea of feminism is being as bad as like the men they know you know Mm -hmm. but it all very much gets confused in a lot of like studio mandated rewrites yes i agree what did you all think about um the idea that like no man could fight back from this possession Uh. like they had this like token good guy right yeah who like gets it and is like all with them and a couple of them they had two of them yeah, two. but if they got the migraine or whatever because in the movie you get a migraine and then you turn into your alpha male self like <laughs> they both couldn't fight back from it like yeah. that's a little gender that, that like yeah. someone can't fight back like i i don't know whether their point was that you get swept up in patriarchy but i don't know Maybe that's the counterpoint to what I was saying earlier, where it felt like it was sort of apologizing for the guys who weren't 
bad is like maybe it's like those guys just haven't been exposed to this or whatever but like it is at which maybe then a bleaker ending would make that a finer point of that right where it where it's like invasion of the body snatchers right where it is where it's like oh no this is just a thing that's happening and it's overwhelming right in a way that like because this i guess the ending of the movie it feels manageable right which is which is sort of yeah. what undercuts it for me is that they're like no we can deal with this where but it's huge. It's a, the thing they're talking yeah. about metaphorically is not so easy to deal with, right? The, I also the, like that first kid. Yeah. You know, he like gets his migraine and then he's he's like, "I like beer." To quote Brett <laughs> Kavanaugh, and that's like his heel turn, right? The it's most like 2019 line in the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's like so. I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. funny how how of the moment they make the things. Be. Yeah, I did. I liked the end. They made it feel a little bit like a war where they all came together. But I yeah. think that you're absolutely right that it would have been more powerful for what they were trying to do if it was a bleaker ending and it did feel more overwhelming because that would feel much more real. Yeah. Have somebody like picking out a book from the library or something. Wait, what? And end the movie with like somebody picking out we had a guy we haven't seen before. He goes to the library. He takes no, a no, Clifford book. Like... He flips it open. He's like, "Wow, this dog is so big and so red." Sorry, as a way of suggesting that this all lives on. You know what I mean? You can have someone like someone like picks out a book by the founder from the library or something, and we see the oh. we see the black goob scoop oh. down their arm or something. We need something like yeah. the phone ringing at the end of the first movie to yeah. suggest this sure, all sure, like, sure. lives on. Because I think for both this movie and the 06 one, they're like it's done. Kind of lamed end or yeah. ending. Especially for this one, which is supposed to yeah. be wrestling with like the whole point of this one is that this stuff is pervasive, that it's existed in this case for two hundred yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It also shouldn't even just be the founder, right? Like it should just be and they sort of do they do this thing, right? Where we go back to that other house that we started in and we go to some other houses, right? And we're like, Oh, this is happening all over the place. And then activist sister brings in another house of sisters, right? To like take them down. But what if we were like, it doesn't even, what if we were just like, oh, here's eight other liberal arts colleges where they're all. Here's another college. Exactly. Found, yeah, founder yeah. goo. It's it, like literally yes. it's happening everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You could just even cut to a bunch of people being like, ooh, I have a migraine, right? Yeah. Mass <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. migraine. Ow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They did such a good job in the beginning, in my opinion. Like, I liked the beginning that it was at a totally different sorority, and it kind of brought home, yeah. like, oh, this is happening, that they needed that yes. to take that another step at the end. Absolutely, of, like, this is going on everywhere. And and that it, yeah. Yeah, it did feel too easily defeatable. It felt like this needed to be the beginning of their battle, not the end of it. They felt too satisfied at the end. What if the reveal was that that wasn't another sorority house down the street? It was, like... <gasps> that been at yeah. another school right yeah. and they're like oh the place we started this is three states away yeah. Yeah. this is just what's happening now because yeah. like i did like the part when they call the cops and they're like we'll be there in a few minutes and then it goes yeah. to the cops showing up at the other house and is just immediately yeah. like oh yes. that would have been yes, so incredible an ending title card could have confirmed that we're in like another state yeah. right yes. california yeah. Like I personally will say that is like the moment when it starts going downhill because it's like, oh, they did something really interesting. And then it's like, now they're just like frats are bad. Like that's low hanging. Also, down. that cop sandwich. <laughs> there is some good cop stuff. In One this. slice of ham, ham sandwich. 
Great. Yeah, tons of mayo. And then he yeah. doesn't know what DM means, a fun little reference to the fellatio scene from the first one. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think the, I think the mayo slander needs to stop. I think this whole mayo is like a dumb white guy thing needs to needs to stop. Not to is that what that was? I thought it was just a proportion I think they're making fun thing. of him for being a white guy for, for loving a ton of mayonnaise on a single slice of ham sandwich. I think it was supposed oh. to be he's a gross, gross, fat white guy sort of a thing. <laughs> And come on, there's nothing disgusting about over mayonnaise in your sandwich. Yes, there I is. mean, one <laughs> slice of ham and a whole packet of mayonnaise is a it's a pretty gross ratio. So <laughs> my kind of sandwich. It's really interesting, Bennett, that you're such a defender of mayonnaise when you have such yeah. a problem with milk. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's no, a I very <laughs> specific line you're walking. What's what's where at what viscosity does white <laughs> opacity turn gross? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get us back on track here. <laughs> so I think one thing about the original Black Christmas is that last phone ringing is so oh, scary because so it's bad. just like, oh, he's still out there. Yeah. But one of the focal points of this movie is that they're all, all the girls are getting these DMs from an account claiming to be the Calvin Hawthorne, I believe is his Nathaniel name. Hawthorne. Nathaniel Hawthorne. Yeah, Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything less frightening than a text message because like in the first one, they're all like huddled around the phone, just like, Oh my God, what is this person on the line saying? But then in the newest, the most recent one, they're all like, yeah, I'm getting those DMS too. whatever. Just ignore them. And it's just such an interesting contrast, how they like strip away one of the scariest parts of the movie, just because strictly of the technology. <laughs> I do hate, I think there's no good way to use texts in movies. I agree. I agree. Yeah, Personal shopper. Yeah. But how do you uh, not, how do you not do it in the modern yeah. age? Right. I, I right. haven't seen Personal Shopper. I've never seen a movie where I enjoyed the way it used text messages. I think they are intrinsically uncinematic. I don't like it when they pop on screen. I don't like when I'm looking at your phone. No version of text messages feels good to me. It's a it's a cliched uh, rebuttal, but definitely check out Personal Shopper, which makes text messages not only compelling, but scary. Because uh, Kristen Stewart thinks she's getting them from a ghost. Yeah, I remember that being... I like that movie. I just don't remember it's, the text. It sounds better than that makes it sound, I swear. <laughs> All right, I'll try it. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any time I've liked texts, but I feel similarly. It's very... It's hard to do. Yeah, it's tricky. We need to live more cinematically in 2020. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stand in doorways more often. Yeah. No, no more, more texting, trains. guys. All no more phone conversations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't find it to be a particularly scary movie, uh, and I find Black Christmas terrifying and Same. Yeah. still so scary. But again, that's not what yeah. it's doing, right? It's it's yeah. more it's yeah, frightening right. in a sort of more intellectual way. It's not. It's using yeah. horror as like a set of like genre trappings yes. to just sort of put a story in. It's not really trying yeah. to yeah. scare you. But it could have been more terrifying because, like you know, the things they're dealing with are legitimately yeah. terrifying. But I think it would have needed that, like, ooh, it's still out there, it's still daunting feeling at the end, yes. and they didn't do that. Well, that's why I think if they took yeah. all of what they put in as text and made it subtext, and then put another yeah. layer on yeah. top of it yes. where there being people, I think this movie could be genuinely terrifying, right? Because the yes. things it is dealing with are are both very real. And also, like, genuinely really upsetting, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, Black Christmas, 
I I have almost no fear that someone's going to break into my attic and systematically murder everyone in my house. Could it happen? I guess. Is it likely? Not really, right? But like the stuff that this which is which is ultimately on a deep level, that's what Black Christmas is about. Yeah. This Black Christmas is like about things that are real in the real world that are genuinely terrifying that I feel like I can't do anything about and I hate that. I hate right. those things. Yeah. They they yeah. could be like really just like full of dread, you know, like full of like real world actual dread. Yeah. I could watch this movie and be horribly frightened and also feel terrible when I leave. Right. If yeah. it was more, I don't know, deeper. More saturated in a way that like you were seeing it come out in those other layers would be much more yeah. effective to me. Like more like where like you see, oh, this terror that women live with in general, yeah. like is so omnipresent in the everyday. And we don't get a chance to see that because it is so much the focus of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like, would that make it too terrifying for then to hit sure, to a 13 year old girl? <laughs> but I'm not a 13 year old girl and I would love to have a horror movie that does this kind of thing more effectively. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, am I am I trying to make it into a movie that's for me instead of a movie that's for its actual target audience? Like, thing, maybe. Right? Maybe. And, I, and there's there's a certain amount of that inherent in, like, both of these remakes. I think anybody who likes the 74 movie is watching both of these and saying, well, why isn't it like the 74 movie? And uh, mm. I don't know. They're both they're both okay in their own right. I yeah, really, they're just yeah, doing I, other I, things, right? Yeah. I wish we could see a version of this 2019 one. I mean, I, I God, both of these movies I would like to see divorced from the production circumstances because yeah. the 06 one, of course, you have as bad as it can get with the wine scenes, and then this 19 one, it's it's clear that you were you know kind of being boxed into a corner to make a certain kind of a movie and write 51 scripts of a certain kind of a movie. Right. When like obviously you had parts of a much, and then I'm movie. sure Jason Blum is like, "Here's a hundred and fifty thousand yeah, right. dollars, yeah. bring me a movie, right?" Which is... Yeah. You kind of both touched on this right now, but I think my final question is: I just want to say, like, the strength of the original Black Christmas is that it just leaves so much unsolved. The mystery stays open. With this one, the filmmakers have said subtlety was absolutely not their goal. Like, they wanted this to be a big picture overview of, like, very real things that are happening. But do you feel the lack of mystery detracts from this as a Black Christmas film? I think it detracts from this as a Black Christmas film, and I think it detracts from them trying to do that overarching message that they didn't leave mystery in like what was happening with the killers because the fact that they get so focused on like this cult thing and the fact that it's black magic totally takes away from the fact that it would be way more terrifying to just have a cult of actual men doing this. I think one person like Billy is a whole lot scarier than a frat personally because like frats are just kind of goofy if you ask me like I don't know but just knowing like one person can just kind of snap like that and just ah, like that is just so unsettling to me and or a person like peter for that matter mm. yeah um, peter too i, I yeah. think he's ultimately a little bit more unsettling than like a bunch of frat bros even though i they're as real and like as you know potentially like violent an entity but right like, they've earned their reputation know, like, <laughs> in my life like i've definitely like, i've personally known more peter types um 
I also think a lot of people who are a little bit awful is a lot more likely. It's like a thing you run across rather than one person who's like completely bonkers insane, you know? That's why so it's so in scary. That, in that way, <laughs> well, in that way, I think the other one is scary because I, I'm more afraid of things that are that I think could happen, I guess, in a movie, right? Like a home invader movie to me is scarier than like a monster movie. Cause I'm like, I don't believe in monster. Mm, uh, yeah. But, but a thing that's real, right? So like a bunch of people who are all being kind of complicit in something that is broadly terrible, but they're all there together and they're all just a little terrible is like, to me could be a pretty horrifying idea. I think. I, mean, I totally but I also agree. Interesting Cause yeah. I, I agree, but I didn't get that unsettling feeling from this movie. No, I didn't. And I, <laughs> I'm really sitting here thinking, like, how would I craft a film? Which is yeah. a fun thought. Yeah. I mean, I, it's inspiring me to, like, want to go, like, jot down notes. But, like, how would you craft a film that captures that terror? Because right. I do find frat boys terrifying as, sure. like, you know, just thinking back to being, like, a young woman around. And I do find that whole, like multiple people being complicit thing terrifying especially but i think they could have done it so much more effectively of seeing like okay these little aggressions that happen these little like they needed more of that through because that's what's really scary is that this network can totally destroy you in your day-to-day life after the initial yeah attack and there was none of that and it's like how would you build a horror movie around like really focusing on that part of the terror like that whole like a lot of people being a little bit horrible can be yeah. more terrifying yeah and this movie didn't do that and again no, they I don't had think a really does. short time and they were really on sur- <laughs> on the surface sure. and really on message but now i want a different movie yeah in to- addition to the script <laughs> being written over a longer period of time i think the movie would have to take place over a longer period of time. sure yeah, i yeah, think yeah. you would have to see the dynamic build over yes. like a semester as opposed to like a sure. couple of days because i think that's really where that sort of like manifests i think there's a great movie to be written yeah. there yeah as, although as i feel like you could friends. enter like but yeah yeah no i I don't disagree. Can I just clarify? I meant like, I think the single killer as a black Christmas is scary. Like, that's what I mean. Not yes. like, not like societally, like, yeah, of course, yeah, frats yeah. are way scarier. Um, but I mean, like, as a black Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. like, as, a, as a character in a movie. Yeah. I don't want that to be misconstrued. <laughs> I only find the original scary. I'll, I'll say it that way. And that's the single killer and such. Same. Yeah. As the, the only one of these is like a really great black Christmas movie, I think. Yeah. Uh, but broadly, I think this is to what you were. I think this is part of what you were asking about. I think broadly, answers are never scary, right? Questions can be scary. They are not intrinsically, but yeah. they can be. But answers never scary. Answers are comforting. That's what they do. Yeah, they can be upsetting, but right, even the most upsetting yes. answer is comforting. Yeah, in the fact that it's an answer to a question. Yeah, There's exactly. No yes. more blank space. Yeah. So the more information, Absolutely. the more you're like, we're gonna give you answers to all of this. Then you're like, okay, well, all right, great. I guess we're done. Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking that watching the 06 movie, I was like, oh, I feel like they're really trying to yeah. comfort me through this whole film. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's they're okay. like, don't worry about got it. You. We'll tell you what's they're going on. They're extenuating circumstances here, right? <laughs> Whereas, like, Billy in the first one, to, to your point, Craig, is like, is anybody, is yeah. genuinely anybody. Yeah. There's no answer. Well, he's you. I mean, you're watching point of sure. view for most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and not knowing his motivation. The royal you. Yeah. <laughs> the royal I I have this is my spinoff question from your correct question because I I was I wrote a note to myself while I was watching this last one where I was like why is it a black Christmas movie right and, and I was like what is what is yeah. the benefit to the film or the filmmakers or like culturally or to the audience or to us 
to make it Black Christmas 2019 as opposed to uh, whatever else you would title it, right? Or or 2006, like what what? Because I I guess to some degree there's like some people will go see it if you call it Black Christmas that maybe wouldn't if you called it something else. But surely there's more to it. That can't be the only. Maybe this is I'm being too uncynical, but that can't be the only reason to make your movie no, a Black I, Christmas as opposed to some other thing. I think this movie would have been stronger as its own thing. Like I think almost Christmas every remake would be. Right, but use Christmas Break as the starting point. Like, yeah, the whole sorority's breaking out. Like, people are going It would home. be a better movie if it was called Christmas Break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Christmas Breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas. Christmas Breakdown of Society. Yeah. We are running long. I'm just going to say, does anyone have any final thoughts on this movie before we close out? Tweet me your answers to my question. I want to know why why people make remakes instead of new movies. Jim, I'm going to warn you, you don't want tweets about this movie. <laughs> it's a, nobody tweets me anyway. It's fine. Twitter won't exist by the time this goes out. So. Uh, my question to the listeners, what is your favorite fake quotation that has ever opened a movie? I think this one might be mine. I really liked that. That I remember when Wait, I saw this, I was like, me. wow, all right. What is it? What was it? How many movies have fake quotations? There's I can think of Werner Herzog Kuwait literally, <laughs> um, and the, the Werner Herzog's Kuwait movie uh, uh, opens it, with a fake quote. It's like a silent movie, basically, right? That's like all sort of. It's just like oil, oil fields, fields and, yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it a Ricky Bobby that it opens with the fake quote? Ricky Bobby. Oh no, it's that one. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's not Step Brothers. It's it's uh, uh, Talladega Nights opens with like a fake Eleanor Roosevelt quote, like "I love speed" or something. But yeah. no, this one opens with like the founder of the college saying, "Like man is capable of incredible yeah. things." Oh and he right. Puts his mind do it or something like that. So, I, I do I wish know. it had just been a secret society and like Carrie Elways was carrying the torch, yeah. and it was just like these dudes were awful and they subjugated women and sometimes if women couldn't be subjugated they murdered them and it was just an underground group why bring black slime into it all of this stuff is scary and it makes sense at any time of the year make it the end of the year make it like they're about to you know i I have no idea how rushing frats works i don't know when the people are inducted make it whatever time of year people are inducted yeah i don't know this will surprise our listeners i was not true the only thing that was christmasy was the song (laughs) yeah exactly Which is just, it seemed like a, like a Mean Girls reference or something. Like, I don't think people really do performances like this all the time. I mean, it was it very much like a, a Mean Girls thing. reference. Yeah. Their outfits yeah. were the same outfits they were. It in felt like a Mean Girls reference, yeah. Yeah. I think it's safe to say we're all picking Black Christmas as the top one. <laughs> I do want to get your thoughts. No, the 06 one. Ah, no. sorry, <laughs> Snow, I misread you. I do want to get your thoughts comparing the 2006 and 2019 version, though. Does anyone want to volunteer to go first? I would definitely choose the 2019 version. I hated the 06 one. I get that it did have some like stronger, bolder tone choices, but I just, the over explaining to death, just, it, I just was like so bored. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I just was holding my hand too much and I really didn't want to be holding hands with it. Yeah. That's I think it depends on how you. superficial you are. You know, like the 2006 one looks like there's money behind it, right? There's a lot of things about it that look sort of traditionally cinematic. Plus, that guy's so yellow. Uh, (laughs) And the the 2019 one feels like it was made fast and cheap. And so I think some people struggle with that. Um, So if that's going to be an additional turnoff for you, then like maybe watch 2006. But for me, overall, 2019 was an easier uh, ride even though I thought it was clumsy. Bennett, I think uh, I know where you're going. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck 
folks, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go with my gut here. I'm gonna have to dance with the one who brung me, and I'm gonna have to say uh, the 2006 one wins for me. Yeah, just because it goes for it. You know, um, the 2019 one feels like a compromised film in more respects than the 2006 one does. Um, as much as the 2006 one is clearly cut to shit and clearly has a lot of stuff that the filmmakers didn't want in there. There's also so many decisions made that clearly were decisions as much as like I think the politics of the 2019 one are obviously much more admirable than anything about the 2006 one. Yeah, I just I don't know. I like the aesthetic uh, commitment of the 06 one. It's such a garish, ugly, horrible movie uh, that you can't not kind of appreciate it a little bit. Although I, do, I think my three-star rating is a little overrated. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I do think mine is the best, though, because I, ju- I just want you to take this all to heart, because cowards always win. Jim, why. you're a heroic uh, coward. It's 74. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say I didn't really find anything to latch on to in the 2006 version. It just... I don't know. That's just not my type of horror movie where it's like just kind of, ooh, gross for being gross. (laughs) Like, I'll take a movie that's trying to say something over just like, we're going to make you squirm any day. Like, it's just, (laughs) I don't know. I I think, uh, yeah, no, I think years of watching American Horror Story and the Saw sequels really sewed in me an appreciation for that impulse. uh, We didn't even mention that there's a character from Saw in this one. (laughs) Wait, is there, a, there is there a crossover? No, I just I I think yeah. I think yeah. the no, I think the 06 Black Christmas is clearly born from a mm. culture that made the Saw movies mm. possible. Sure. No, you know, but wasn't uh, the professor in the 2019 one? Isn't he the first Saw victim? Oh, Carrie fuck. Elwes? Oh, Dr. Yes. Yeah, Dr. Lawrence Gordon, who is, of course, Saw's accomplice, as yeah. he revealed in the 3D Saw. He was in it all along. Um, Wait, what? Sorry to, spoil, sorry to spoil seven Saw I movies. I am never going to watch what? the Saw movies. Correct. No. <laughs> Ever. I saw part of no. one, and I was like, no, just you no, can... like... Y'all, y'all have it. Just cool. read what Bennett. You should watch one of the YouTube videos where they explain the plot. Explain the plot could basically uh, do do as much for you as the film. I mean, I know like but... bits of the premise, but yeah, that's all you need. Because how do you not? <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad we did this episode because these are three very interesting movies for very different reasons. And yeah, for I think sure. we squeezed yeah. a lot of juice out of these oranges. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I did not think we'd still be talking past 1 a.m. Eastern time. Sorry. Oh, oh wow, yeah. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> I kept interrupting you. Oh, Jim. Um, it is your fault. You're a coward and everything's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> Merry That's Christmas, what my tattoo Jim. says. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think these are three interesting movies to watch, if, especially if you don't have anything planned to watch. See what you think. I mean, yeah, if you've got an open Christmas Eve, yeah, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but thank you all for joining. I mean, this is it's always great seeing all of you, but yeah, we got a little more of uh Christmas horror coming this year to Split Tooth, so stay tuned for that. Bennett, Jim, <laughs> Snow, thank you all for joining and talking about these movies. We'll do some more episodes soon. It's we're due. <laughs> All right. Well, happy holidays to all the listeners. Merry creepy Christmas. Hey. Happy holidays, everybody. I only like good movies.